Ready, set, and begin. So loquacious, an out in Perth podcast. Welcome to So Loquacious, a podcast from Out in Perth magazine. So Loquacious is where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism and art, and all from an LGBTIQ plus point of view. My name's Graham Watson and each week I'm joined by my colleague Lee Hill Hello. and a special guest. In this episode, we're going to be talking about HIV, what our perceptions are of HIV. Do people only think it applies to older people? The language which is used in the community and in the media when we talk about it. And later on, we're going to talk a little bit about sex. There's a lot of things to discuss, but first, let's introduce our guest and my friend, Matthew Bacon. Hey, Matthew. How are we doing, guys? It's been a pretty hot day today. It, it has been a very we warm really, day. We're really going to talk about the weather? Yeah, summer is here. I did I did notice you um, did post <laughs> early today that you like the hot weather because of all the tradies. Yeah, I. it just occurred to me this morning when my mother texted me and said she really liked uh, our previous podcast with Misty Farquhar that today's podcast would definitely be focused on sex. So, Mum, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And my mum, if you're listening, this is what you get every day yeah. of life. <laughs> I don't think my mum has in, discovered podcasts yet in technology. You know, she's she's got... My, obviously, my mum's a little bit older than your mum. I'm guessing probably older than your mum, Matt. She's big on Facebook, but, but she doesn't have Twitter. And I don't think she knows about podcasts yet. Well, so. she's got a lot to learn. Matthew Bacon is the Gay Men's Outreach Officer at the WA AIDS Council. It's a role which he was recently appointed to, but his involvement with our local HIV organisation started a long time before his current role. Matthew is also currently studying sexology and working towards getting his master's degree. It's master's, right? Yeah, that's correct. How did you get started at the WA AIDS Council? It all began when I was at Curtin University. Um, they were telling us about different opportunities to get us to understand more about sexology um, and how it can be applied in everyday life. So, yeah, I got involved volunteering um, with the AIDS Council and absolutely fell in love, and now I'm involved in... Yeah, far more facets of the AIDS Council than I ever thought that I would be. Um, but it's great. What, what did you work on as a volunteer there? What were the first things you got involved in? So the first one was peer education with um, young people. So doing the KISS program, which is their leavers volunteering. Um, so I went down to Dunsborough for a week and had the time of my life. You just talk sex and hand out an absolute tonne of condoms. Um, what's not to love, I yeah, guess. So just day-to-day Matthew, but in Dunsborough. Yeah, that's right, with just kids. with a better tan. <laughs> I used to volunteer at the AIDS Council um, before my, my life just got way too busy, but I used to um, give a couple of hours a month, and I used to go out and talk in high schools and give the um, talk about explaining all about HIV and a lot of answering a lot of questions about safe sex and, and condoms and all sorts of questions. And yeah, what, I, what I loved about it that was challenging was that the questions you got asked, you would never be able to predict them. There would be so many questions and so many ones that were just so very left field and unexpected. I definitely think as well when it comes to language, it changes so much. Like mm. one of the things that I heard um, is royaling, which I hadn't heard before, but apparently what is it's... It? when um, people will masturbate using a condom and they call it royaling because it's um, expensive habit to have. <laughs> so it's very much like a, um, yeah, young thing, particularly 
popular in borders because they don't want to have to worry about cleanup as much. <laughs> it I'm makes a lot of, of sense. There's a lot of logic to this. Yeah. I'm so, trying to think of a, an equivalent from when we would have been in school, uh, a silly phrase like that, but I, I, it's nothing's it coming to me. It never even crossed my mind when I was we younger sen- to, I guess we were to more sensible play youngsters. myself like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just getting my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> Try hearing it from like a sixteen-year-old, and you're like, "Oh!" But the other other sixteen-year-olds knew what it was. (laughs) Other people knew what he was talking about. His friends did, but me and the team that I was in just sort of looked at each other and scratched our heads, and then asked them to explain because, yeah, we we were completely lost. One of the things I used to do also is work on, um, which you know, technology has moved on now. But at the time, chat rooms were very big. And I worked on one of the first projects where we went into chat rooms and we were available for people to ask questions to. And again, you know, the questions would be very left field and um, unpredictable in what people would be concerned about. But it also made me realise that, you know, we are sometimes very hesitant to talk about sex and things we are unsure of or things that, you know, I'm doing this, is this, is this normal? Is this okay? And mm. Do other people do this in the bedroom? What made you choose sexology as a, an area you thought, this is where I want to spend my academic career? Um, so originally I was actually doing a Bachelor of Science with the intention to go into physio. So I've got a graduate diploma, I'm sorry, a grad, a diploma in massage therapy. And it was all so known. It was the muscle hurts like this, stretch it like that, massage it like that. Um, so yeah, I sort of lost interest halfway through and not just that. Anatomy is one of the most ridiculous things to try and learn. Anyone that can remember that much is a hero to me. Um, and then I did one unit in sexology all because my own sexual health and sexual education in high school was not up to par. It Mm -hmm. was a religious school, so it was very abstinence focused. Uh, So I was like, well, um, I just started coming out as well. So I was like, well, let's discover more about sex, find out what it's all about. And then it was literally within my first two classes, they do a desensitisation video. So you watch a bunch of different sexual behaviours and sexual acts so that nothing takes you by surprise when you're having conversations with people. Now, um, I know from when I did my psychology studies that for desensitising people to something, there are, there are two techniques you use. So if you had someone who was, like, you know, uh, afraid of spiders, technique number one is that you, you know, you slowly... Um, introduce them to spiders by showing them, like, you know, uh, some writing about some spiders. There may be a picture of a spider and there may be a a spider spider. in a jar that's dead and there may be a live spider in a jar and then by eventually they're, they're, they're like, taking the spider out as their best friend. It's it's steps, step by step. Or there's where you just flood people and just go, hey, here's the spider. Yes. We were flooded. (laughs) (laughs) We were definitely flooded that day. So, again, we were sitting there with with 30 people and we saw sex in its very – it wasn't, it wasn't pornography. The videos are donated to science, so it's not pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just heterosexual sex, swinging sex, um, gay and lesbian sex, and disability and sex, and just sex. What is the scope of sexology studies? Is it just the act of sex? Or so it's the study of human that? sexuality and everything that falls under that. So that goes from, again, looking at like gender roles and gender studies to sexual dysfunction. Um, to then LGBTIQ issues um, and things that circular around around um, yeah orientation and sexuality, aging and sexuality as well is a really big one that's coming up. A it, lot absolutely, because um, we think that you know when you reach a certain age you just stop having sex. Um, that you know fingers crossed that doesn't happen. 
Uh, <laughs> well, the big area this is coming up is in like you know nursing care and old age people's homes. But in our you know gay and lesbian community, there seems to be a belief that maybe you know you stop having sex when you hit certain age barriers, like you just become invisible and disappear. You know? Asexualized almost. <laughs> yeah, it encompasses so so many different hmm. things. It's hard to put it all down. But sort of the easiest way is that there's three fields that you can go into, and that's sort of around um, counselling. Um, education and health promotion. So they're your three strands and then where you fit into each one of those strands of sexology um, will vary depending on target group and interest areas and all the rest of it. (laughs) F interest areas. F interest areas. (laughs) Your new role at the AIDS Council is in the health promotion area. That's correct. And your title is the Gay Men's Outreach Officer. That's correct. What does that involve? What, What do you get to do in that role? So I think one of the biggest... And it's a new role, so it you get to invent role, it in a certain degree. Which is very exciting for me. I think where this role has sort of come from is that the AIDS Council has almost lost its relevance. People don't seem to think that HIV and AIDS is as big of an issue anymore, um, and therefore any organisation that just talks about that is null and void, mm-hmm. um, whereas there's so much more that the AIDS Council does, and I think we're trying to target holistic gay men's health um, and be a champion for gay men's health in terms of social isolation and mental health, looking at drug and alcohol misuse and then all the sort of sexual health outcomes that... Well, it's fair to say all these things are very interlinked. Yeah, absolutely. If you are someone who is using drugs, then there are chances that you are making decisions that affect your sexual health. And if, you know, you're socially isolated and you don't have good networks of support or you know, you're making these sort of very random connections with people. And I guess there's a, a chance that your sexual health will be affected by that. Yeah. So that's... And the reason why they've got an outreach officer is, again, to start developing more of a community awareness and start tackling all those different areas of health. And, again, in terms of outreach, I don't just go to events and smile. Um, it's also <laughs> things like using Grinder and Squirt.org and all those other places that people like to network and communicate um, and sort of be a presence in those online spectrums too. With HIV, I mean, I'm trying to think of when I first came across HIV and for me it's always been there. It's always been a thing. I don't remember it being a new thing, even though it was in my lifetime that it you know, sort of became prevalent and, and all those educational campaigns started. <coughs> but, you know, it was certainly there before I hit puberty, so it's always been there. Lee, do you remember when you first... You know, had a discussion about HIV? I, I was thinking about, well, Matt and I were recently talking about what sex ed was for us in high school, and I don't even remember. I feel like we did it in health education one year, and it was just very skimmed over. I think my first exposure to HIV and AIDS really would have been people making horrible jokes about it. I remember doing health sex education in like year eight, and it was all about like how, how girls get pregnant and how you shouldn't get a girl pregnant. There was certainly nothing in there about, you know, same-sex attracted people, mm. how you might go about having no sex, what's involved. It, but there was a lot about, like, HIV is something which, you know, is largely found by people who are homosexual, and at that time the message was you will die. Mm. You know, so it kind of equated if you're gay, you will die you know, yeah. together. I, I feel like it wasn't touched on at school at all. Maybe my memory's just poor, I don't know. Yeah, I think the only messaging that I got in regards to sexuality was God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, which was probably the biggest thing that 
got drilled into us. It's homo sapiens, not hetero sapiens, okay? Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then other than that, it was just like, this is what a dick looks like with chlamydia. Don't have sex. Oh, yeah, the photos. Yeah, we got got the like horror story photos. And it's like, what, 2% of people that have chlamydia? have symptoms, but we'll show, like, a dick about to fall off and that's and actually, somehow if, more appropriate. If you think about it, in the long run, that's actually very ineffective because there's a whole bunch of people thinking, well, I don't have chlamydia because my, my dick looks fine, um, where the truth is you, yeah. you, well, could have. That's what got me into sexology, just very poor sexual health education. <laughs> when you think about, like, talking about HIV, we've been talking about it you know, for 30 years, over 30 years now. And it's hard to keep a conversation going that long and also to introduce younger people into the conversation. You know, to think like, you know, we, we did a campaign, we've highlighted all this, but every few years you've, or every year you've got to do it again because there's new people growing up and sort of, you know, starting to be sexually active. You need to keep having that message. But how do you, the big challenge of health promotion is to, how do you keep putting that message out in new and fresh and interesting ways so that everybody keeps paying attention to it and, you know, the second time needs a little bit more creativity. The the 20th time certainly needs a lot more creativity. Yeah, I definitely think it comes down to having something that's community developed. If the messaging that you're putting out is from a position of power or authority, it's, it's never going to work. I think one of the things that makes a lot of health promotion really successful, one of the reasons why Australia in particular um, responded so well to HIV was that the community itself was in charge and took the lead on that. And that's what AIDS councils stemmed from. It started off as just um, groups of people getting together and saying that we need to do something. And then all of a sudden government funding started getting included and we had um, the Australian Federation of AIDS count, um, organisations come together. So It becomes a bit more organised. and It does. But also a bit more corporatised and away from its community <laughs> roots. And this is of my opinion. I don't know if the AIDS Council would agree with me, but I do think that it it has gone to that point a little bit in Perth. But it's not it unusual to... if you think of any, um, you know, even if you go into the arts sector and you look at community-based organisations, which, you know, there's a point where they get funding and they get staff and they get structures and boards and they, they're able to achieve so much more, but they have to move out of that community-based... They can't be this exactly what they were. And it's a very similar sort of journey you see in, in lots of different areas, not just in health promotion, but, you know, that something which is community roots-based, growing and becoming a bit bigger and, you know, how do you stay true to what you are with still being at the forefront of moving forward? It's, I think it's very challenging and it's across sectors that challenge. Yeah, it, I definitely think that you're right in that front and I think the biggest thing that the AIDS Council has a desire to do is just keep pushing boundaries. When we first started doing beat outreach, I don't really think the Department of Health was ecstatic with us. Um, Going and helping men hook up in public spaces isn't a a popular decision to make, but it was, at the end of the day, it was harm minimisation at its finest. It has to be. It has to be part of the job. You can't just dismiss something because it's taboo. If your goal is to eliminate HIV... You've got to go where, where people are We've got to go where people yeah. are making the decisions. Quite basic psychology, really. If, um, if you're having the information and choices as close to, as possible to each other, people are going to make better choices. Now, you can't say, like, you know, we told you in high school 10 years ago about safe sex and imagine someone still to be thinking of that, you know, 10 years later. But it has to be that constant messaging and it's close to where the people are you know, which is why it is important for health promotion to be in nightclubs, to be in beats, to mm. be in 
online spaces mm. because that's that's where the action is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I never really paid attention to my sexual, like, safe sex practices when I was in high school because I thought the first person that I had sex with was going to be my wife. So if okay. those messages all <laughs> browsed completely over my head because I was like, why would I ever need a condom? I don't need to stop them from being pregnant because I'm going to love them and we're going to be married. Yeah. Do you think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the most basic misconceptions among younger people is condoms are just to stop babies from happening. But that is... Just not true. <laughs> and then the other one that we get all the time as well is, oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm on the pill, so I can't get chlamydia. Oh. <laughs> oh. Doesn't work that okay. way. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> as a, your, your title is Gay Men's Outreach Officer, but it's not like you're targeting a homogenous group of people. Uh, gay men are of different ages, different uh, yeah, Different social groups. Yeah, different social groups. Uh, they may include trans men. Yeah, absolutely. There must be a lot of learning for you to do. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the things that I've loved the most about being like starting up at the AIDS Council is sort of seeing the history and the progression of gay men's health and gay men's health promotion within the organisation. So there used to be four guys downstairs that would all target a different population of gay men. So you'd have your MSM, um, then you'd have your sexually adventurous, then, then you'd have your gay identifying men because all of the messaging is slightly different for each population mm. and sort of trying to... Oh, sorry, when I say MSM, I mean men that have sex with men. Yes. But not case, gay. But not gay. They don't identify yeah. as gay. They're just men that have sex with men. Mm. Um, and again, that's very much epidemiology as well because you don't want to describe a sexual orientation as a risk factor. You would describe the behaviour mm-hmm. more. So that's what I mean when I say that, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um So in my role, I'm excited by the idea of being able to sort of hit all of those different groups again and looking at not only Australian-born but looking at people that come over for um, university, so like your overseas students and targeting populations in that realm, Um, looking at people that are a little more sexually adventurous, Um, MSM. I recently just did a bunch of condom distributions to glory holes in Perth in the suburbs (laughs) which I was not aware of there were that many. Um, And I consider myself fairly in the loop when it comes to these sort of things. And, yeah, there were so many more than I I even realised. So, yeah, it was a constant learning curve. And I think to to think that you know it all is the most dangerous thing because I... You're learning new stuff all the time. Yeah, and I can't represent every gay man or any every man that has sex with men. So if I'm not constantly checking the messaging that I'm putting out in the ideas and education and making sure that it is appropriate, then I'm probably off the mark completely. <laughs> I wanted to look, there was a story in um, the Herald Sun this week, which was a, um, about a guy in South Australia who's HIV positive um, and he's in a court case at the moment um, about um, non-disclosure and behaviour he's had. But what I found really struck me was as as journalists, we get guidelines on how to report on HIV and sort of phrases to use and the way to describe things. And it just kind of jumped out at me that there was this headline this week which said, HIV sufferer. Hmm. And I thought it was a bit disappointing because I thought we'd really move beyond those sort of descriptions of how we talk about people with HIV. But I was just wondering... What is the ones we should, you know, for everybody to be kind of aware of sort of avoiding? What sort of phrases shouldn't we be using th- in this in these discussions? Yeah, the biggest one tends to be people 
um, that believe that HIV and AIDS are the same thing. Mm. It's still amazing that people think that they're synonyms. And HIV and AIDS are two very, very different things. Mm. Like so for people who are not sure, what's the difference? So HIV is um, a virus that you can contract through sexual contact or um, blood-on-blood contact, um, whereas AIDS is something that is developed after um, contracting HIV, and it's when your immune system depletes below. And and you have to have a, a number of uh, symptoms that you would not normally get. That's right. And if... you have to have a, um, a secondary infection yeah. as well in the body. Mm. So that is the definition of a syndrome, is not only the presence of HIV, but something else that's paired with it. And that's why you look at a lot of um, things like pneumonia is probably one of the biggest ones, mm. um, gastrointestinal issues, and there's a few cancers as well. So yep. for somebody to say somebody died of AIDS would be a misnomer. They died of AIDS-related complications. They died of something that developed... In, especially in Australia, that's yeah. that's definitely true. I don't think anyone's died of AIDS. It's AIDS-related illnesses. Yeah. yeah. And to say someone died of HIV, I'm glad I don't hear anymore. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just... It's really hard to, you know, um, get that message across of that nowadays HIV is is a chronic illness. It's it's something that people are living with; they're not dying from. Yeah. Um, and even you know, we Lee and I were listening to a radio discussion recently on Talkback FM, and um, it was actually just as they'd announced the plebiscite would not be happening. And there was a woman who called up to the Talkback radio here in Perth, and she said, um, you know people are still dying of AIDS. Oh, um, that, I remember this woman. And that uh, it's just covered up. They don't report it on the papers. The government has a like, sort of conspiracy going on that, mm-hmm. you know, gay people are dying of AIDS all over the place. And um, it was actually, you know, because there had been a series of um, calls to the radio stations which were all of equal ridiculousness. And um, that was the one which kind of tipped me over the, the edge. And I, I was dialing up going, can I go on here now, please, and yeah. speak truth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. A conspiracy theory, I, I, I don't even know. But it, it was such <laughs> a flashback to how people did speak about HIV, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. you know, as, as this idea of a death sentence. And, you know, people talking about, you know, treat words we should avoid, like, you know, someone's infected with HIV or, you know, has yeah. transmitted it to somebody or, you know, there's careful ways of talking about which are respectful to people who, who have HIV. Have you encountered yeah. anybody that has sensationalised it like that in your time with the AIDS Council? Somebody who just totally doesn't understand what HIV is? Um, a, a few. So I think probably the worst one that I had is, again, they just weren't aware. And again, there was a language barrier, so that could also be a contributing factor. Uh-huh. Um, but just did not understand that AIDS and HIV weren't the same thing. And I tried to explain it to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, but AIDS. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> HIV. And they're like, oh, no, 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 like AIDS. And I was like... It's hard no, to unlearn H- something, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, yeah, and not just that as well. It was, um, again, they were talking about, oh, no, no, but people look clean. And I was like, what? And this idea of yeah. someone being clean, like what? It just, yeah, it was a complete yeah, that, that's left something of centre that one that well, got me. Yeah. Well, that's two things there. One is that you see on social media profiles the idea of being clean as a description. Yeah, what's or, the phrase? Clean and... D&D-free. Uh, D&D-free. Drug and disease-free, yeah, that's right. Um, and these, these are, are not healthy terms, you know, they're not productive terms to be putting out there. No, not at all, um, especially because you can't tell by someone's personal hygiene anything. And I honestly, when I first started using Grindr, I, that's what I thought clean was. I was like, oh, just like, he, he trims. <laughs> I'm clean. He trims, waxes his chest maybe, like clean. <laughs> clean as in like... Had a good wash. Hair growth. <laughs> like, 
Um, so not only is it super ambiguous, but it's just completely stigmatising um, in the way that we look. Because if someone then isn't clean, are you trying to say that they're dirty and that raises a whole new kettle of fish? On it's interesting that Grinder now has actually created a new field where you can put in your um, HIV status. And when you were last tested... Yes, mm. yes. Which is, is a huge so development. Thankful. And even better is you can't filter because of that, which I just think is so amazing on Grinder's behalf oh. to... Um, yeah, that, I, yeah. Yeah, That's they can great. say, yeah, to say that, you know, you can filter out people under a certain height, but they won't let anyone filter out HIV positive people. I just think that's yeah. such a step in the right direction of treating it as it should be treated as a, a manageable disease. And with things like treatment as prevention and undetectable viral loads um, that people are starting to understand a lot more, I just, yeah, it makes me so happy. I find the world of Grindr such a bizarre space anyway. I, I like using Grindr just to chat to people when I'm like in waiting rooms, waiting for meetings and appointments and just have random conversations with people. But it always surprised me when people have these sort of descriptions of who they're looking for and they've they're sort of narrowed down to, you know, must be an Aquarian born between the 12th and the 14th. Um, you know, <laughs> between must... 166 and 168 centimetres. Yes, with... moon. <laughs> and, and, and have um, leg hair but not too much leg hair, you know. And sometimes I I, I write my profile to like be like that, to be very, very, very specific, just to highlight the ridiculousness of that. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not looking to hook up with anybody. I'm just having you know. Except am- your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Although he he can just call me anytime. He doesn't need to go and grind up. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we communicate. The easiest now. form of communication. He's like, I need to get hold. <laughs> He'll definitely be on grinder. We'll go, go with that route. There could be a way to mix it up, you know, in, in the seventeenth year of your relationship. Let's go on grinder and pick each other up. <laughs> It'd be sexy. Oh, that's cute. I'll text you first. <laughs> Cruise each other. You up? Yeah. Hung. Yeah, it's I. I find it as a strange place and and you know we were talking recently about how the world of dating has changed over the years mm-hmm. and when I was single and it was before the time of gaydar and um what all those I've forgotten what they were all called now it's my Jenny I Man don't Hunt. remember that one manhunt I remember manhunt before that it used to be telephone lines <laughs> and you used to have to call up and and record your voicemail message your your voice introduction and then you would cycle through all these people talking, saying, hi, my name is, you know. Oh, and it was, you couldn't see what people looked like. Yeah. It was just their voice, you know, which is a, a very different world. But they still, would you have still had um, personals in adult shops? I guess, I guess after that. So if you, I guess if you were, you know, um, before that, you used to have personals like in the back of magazines. Oh, yeah, of course. Know? So. In the back of old issues of out in Perth, and we found we found some when we were tidying up the old office. Mm. Um, all the forms from people writing in their personals didn't find any politicians. No, we did look through to see if anyone famous was in there, but no. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> but what what was surprising is as we went through them and read them, there's so much you know abbreviations like GSOH in there. Oh um, yeah. And you know. Uh, do, you know what, SWF. do you know what that stands for? You're looking confused. Yeah, and it's showing our age gap. Oh, everyone's good sense looking of for it. Humor. Good sense of humour. Good sense of oh. humour. So because sweet? you paid per That's word, sweet. there was lots of abbreviations. <laughs> it's almost romantic. It was right? almost like, you know, like... <laughs> sense of humour. Texting yeah, speak from the 70s. You know? and, um, <laughs> the original. S- single white female, SFW. No, SWF. SWF, single white female. And there were lots of... Some of them we couldn't even work out where they were because they're just... The time has moved on. Yeah. So, you know, that spaces we talked about before is always changing on where we're having those 
interactions. Where will it be next? Uh, it'll be some sort of 3D virtual reality, surely. Well, there's, you never have there's to leave your house. Robots. I saw a report the well. other day that um, experts are concerned that sex robots are going to kill us all because we will just stop having relationships with other human beings. Well, that's yeah. what they say about gay people as well. Well, we are going to kill everybody. <laughs> I don't this know about you. <laughs> Wait, did we not all get the memo about the gay gender? <laughs> we're, far too, <laughs> we're far too neat and tidy for any blood and gore. <laughs> There's other ways. <laughs> the other thing you, um, that reminded me is when we were talking a moment ago about um, those sort of perceptions of you know who has HIV and we're talking about you know being clean is, of course, um, age and healthiness. And we had a discussion out in Perth uh, last month. We invited a whole bunch of people to come around in, mm-hmm. and hang out in our office um, and just talk about HIV. And we had a conversation for about an hour and a half. And some of the people were HIV positive and some people weren't. And some people and hadn't disclosed either some way. Some people didn't disclose either way. And some people disclosed during the conversation, yeah. um, which was very interesting. It was a very, very fascinating discussion. But one of the um, people who was there was Ryan Oliver, who's a local um, representative of people who are HIV positive. Um, and he said when he first started telling people that he had HIV, one of the most common reactions he got from people was like, but you're so good looking and you're so fit and healthy. That can't be true. Mm. Yeah, it's just one of those, um, again, it's just stigma and discrimination at its finest. Yeah. Um, I think even in the way that people say uh, suffers with HIV, and that's still the idea that people have is that if you have HIV, you have AIDS, mm. and they see someone sick in a bed, um, covered in sores, and that's sort of their, oh, they must be suffering so much. And it is that, it's the language that we use to describe it as well just keeps sort of pushing that it is an older person's thing. It's something that you would suffer from. So when people do find out that, you know, they're undetectable viral loads and they're going to live just as long as anyone else, mm. there's, oh. Do you think it's about representation? So like, I find a lot of, especially younger people, learn from watching television, watching movies, and all of the films I can think of where somebody is living with HIV, they are frail and they are bedridden. Do, do you think that contributes to that? I d- to say that media doesn't affect things is a foolish thing to say. Like, media affects everything that we do. Yeah. And, again, I think most movies that I can think of off the top of my head are usually historical mm. movies. So this is prior to people having an understanding of the best medication approach, yeah. um, looking at viral loads and the testing mechanisms that go with them before things like um, pre-exposure prophylaxis as well. So the the game has changed so mm-hmm. much, but it doesn't excuse, it doesn't change history. So I think when there are those movies where you do see people that are frail, I think there's a lot of worth in them because they show how bad it was and how far we've come, uh, as long as people understand as well. It's not where we are now. Yeah, it's mm. not where we are now. Yeah. I just want to quickly go through a couple of terms you threw up there for people who might be listening who are like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned undetectable viral load. What does that mean? So if someone that is HIV positive is on treatment, um, the vast majority will have an undetectable viral load, just meaning that the different bodily fluids that can carry the virus, um, there's not sufficient amounts of the virus to make someone seroconvert or to um, transmit the virus from one person to the other. So if someone was uh, had an undetectable viral load, the, the chance of them passing HIV onto somebody else is... is Negligible. Negligible. Yeah, ever since it was... God, 2013, I think, was probably the most in-depth research that's come out, and it's under 1%. And you see this on social media profiles now where people have a U and a plus for undetectable? Yep. 
which is great, I think, for people to be able to feel confident they can share that and for people to respect that. And for now yeah. it to be something that's... I think having that as part of a negotiation discourse as well is really powerful in terms of, again, in the same way that you have terms like MSM, it takes it away from a population group and puts it down to behaviour. So, I, yeah, I think it's 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 great. And I had the most interesting conversation with my mother the other day because I was saying that, to me, dating someone that's HIV positive means absolutely nothing. It's neither here nor there. Um, if anything, I would feel safer because at least I would know, mm. um, whereas a lot of other people that I have encounters with, <laughs> I'm very unaware um, of whether or not they could, other than them saying, oh, I got it tested you know, at this point in my life. And then since then, I just have to trust that they haven't yeah. Yeah. got it since. Whereas this other person, I know that they go in and get regular tests to make sure they're undetectable. I know that they're adhering to their medication. So, yeah. And my mother was just like, oh, but can you, can you, But you we've been We've been programmed to think that way for so long, for actually so many, for it decades is. now, to be scared. And of my this. first run-in with HIV was in uni, which is sad in and of itself. Um, but again not unexpected when you knew the school I went to. But it was it was in sexology they showed us the Grim Reaper campaign. Yeah. And they were like, yep, this is health promotion done very poorly. And it was. It was that whole scare technique. And even though it aired for, what, like three months or something in total? Like, it was not long at all. Um, it it lives on today. It's still, like, yeah. Yeah, Queen's... Was it Queensland that threatened to bring it back? Queensland it did kind of bring it back. They made a campaign probably about three years ago which said, sort of, hey, HIV's still here and if you don't start paying attention to it, we'll have to bring this guy back. And the camera sort of panned around to the Grim Reaper sort of standing in the wings ready to go, which was sort of a, an echo back to that original campaign. Yeah. The big problem with that campaign was that at the time, you know, people who um, were, were dying at that time of, of dying of AIDS were... Looked, you know, and people on medication, the very early medication, very gaunt, looked mm. very skinny, very mm. drawn, and looked like well, the Grim Reaper was depicted in that. So yeah. this idea of a Grim Reaper coming with this bowling ball to, you know, bowl down your family because it was like little girls and boys yeah. being thrown everywhere. It kind of said like sick gay men are coming to yeah, attack your family. Yeah, it added to the stigma. Which, yeah. I, you know, I don't and think the people who made it, they probably didn't intend that. <laughs> But that was the result that yeah. came out of it and lived on. But I think the biggest echo that comes out of that campaign is for people who are gay is if you grew up in the 80s and you saw that campaign and that was the touch point of what HIV is, um, the message was if you have sex, you will die. Yeah. Like, and, and that just made a sort of a probably a generation of people just be very, very wary of having sex, which is not healthy either. That's not healthy sexuality. That's not good for forming mm. relationships and building community. It just makes a bunch of really scared people. The campaigns evolved pretty quickly after that. I, I mean, they were still shocking, but in a very different way. They certainly became more more positively focused, I think, over over time. The uh, Another thing you mentioned there was PEP. PrEP, yeah. So, so pe- there's PEP and PrEP. Correct. So what's the difference between the two? So PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis, um, and it's a medication that can be taken by men that are HIV negative, um, and essentially it is the same medication that HIV positive people are on. It's an antiretroviral, um, and it makes, in the easiest way to describe it, it makes the body toxic to the HIV virus, so you're unable to contract HIV even if you do come in contact with one of the carrying fluids or come in contact with someone that is HIV positive. So that has changed the realm of prevention an absolute ton because now, again, we've got active defences against it. 
Um, and then PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis. So again, the same medications, but taken after someone comes in contact with HIV. Um, and it's a medication that you take for, um, I think it's 28 days off the top of my head. And it prevents the body from seroconverting. So it and stops you from there's a window you need to start taking. Within 72 hours yeah, for PEP. For PEP. Um, and every emergency room, as far as I'm aware in Australia, has access to PEP. Um, so that's usually the easiest place to go. And then there's things like PEP line and you can call up and they'll walk you through because I think one of the biggest things that we have AIDS line at the AIDS council and people will call up terrified. They'll be like, oh. People call up out in Perth with this one because they know the ad for PEP treatment is in the magazine and when they suddenly find themselves in that situation, they said, I had a really big la- night last night, I... Don't. I shook hands with someone. You know, oh, um, I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I woke up the next morning and I thought, oh my god, you know, what have I done? I, I you know, I didn't have safe sex. I, you know, have now found out maybe that someone who I had sex with, you know, is positive. I didn't know that beforehand, and they have a freak out about it. And and they actually call us up at, at Out in Perth and say, I know the ad is in Out in Perth. Can you give me the details? You know, so it's and people are very concerned at that point and, and worried about. You know, it's it's much easier to be. You know, to have safe sex and be prepared beforehand. You know? it, yeah. it does. It does tend to be, yeah. But in the in the same way, it's it's good to have all, lots of options. And and all all we go with is information is key. If you just give people the information and the knowledge, they can make their own decisions. Um, because it, again, if I'm twenty three trying to tell you what to do, I think you'd look at me like I'm a dickhead, and I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> you joked about. Um, somebody being scared of transmitting by shaking hands. Obviously, that's ridiculous, but there are a lot of people out there who have no idea how it can be transmitted. So uh, you said before, it's sexual fluids and blood to blood. That's right. So, yeah, you're looking at um, the five carrying fluids are semen, breast milk, vaginal fluids, blood, and pre-cum. Okay. Yeah. That's five. Yes, <laughs> I see you counting We're on your We're going to you counting on your fingers. <laughs> yes. yeah. No, no, I... Totally cool. To know how many days are in the month, I still have to count on my knuckles. <laughs> I've so, never been able to do that. Yeah, no. I, so I, I just I just sit in the office asking other people. <laughs> um, but I then know. more than just being exposed as well, though, just to quickly throw this out, um, is that you do need a point of entry as well. Like, obviously, you can't just have HIV positive blood on, on your hand where you've got no sore, no cut. Um, yeah. and it would do anything to you. Like, it doesn't soak in. Yeah, it, it doesn't yeah. soak in. It's not so toxic that it will like, yeah. do something like that. And like, and saliva is not a carrying fluid. I think one of the ones that is the most interesting is you'll see people that are like, no, I'm totally fine with HIV positive people. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But then their little child will reach for a glass that a HIV yeah. positive person has been drinking from. And straight away they're like, oh, no, 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 not that one. Yeah. You're like, Well, we, we heard in the conversation we hosted as well um, a lot of the people in the room who were HIV positive had trouble with dentists and masseuses, putting on gloves to treat them. Um, but those professionals are The dentist aren't at risk. one was a real surprise because the moment one person mentioned dentist, everyone yeah. went, oh, yeah, dentist. Everybody had problems with It dentists. was like this big Mexican wave around the room. Mm. It's completely, again, dentists are the most common because they put on their, a lot of paperwork, a lot of intake paperwork is you need to specify. Um, whether or not you are of a high risk, I think is the way that they usually deem it, you do not have to answer that yeah. at all in the slightest. Dentists treat everyone exactly the same when you yeah. go in. And if they don't, then they're dumb because it's the people that you don't know that are going to be the highest risk. And over mm. in WA, we've got a very different um, group of 
HIV positive people, a lot of heterosexuals do contract HIV in WA. Yeah. Um, and whether or not that's it's and it's usually attributed to mobility and our proximity with Southeast Asia um, is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, and you know, sex tourism as well being mm. something that's a little more involved with over here. Our fly and fly out culture fly of work. Fly yeah. out culture. And so there is, and it was 2013, but there were equal amounts of heterosexuals that had contracted HIV that year as there were gay men. People or who men are, that had sex with men. People who are listening from other parts of the world are going, what's a fly and fly out? Yeah. FIFO. <laughs> a FIFO. Trying to do research into FIFO is one of the hardest things because you're like, how do I word this in a way that like other countries might use? So we're a big mining industry um, and resource industry here in Western Australia. So um, we have a city in the south of the state and thousands of kilometres away. Um, if you have a look at a map on how big Western Australia is, we're, we're bigger than most countries. Um, and there are mines, you know, and people actually fly to work and, and work for, you know, 10 days, two weeks and then fly back home again or fly overseas on their days off. And we call them FIFOs because they fly in and they fly out. Now you know. Knowing is half the battle. Little education for everyone. <laughs> I used to work in a job where I had to fly in and fly out, but I had to work for five months before I got to come home. I think I was ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> that was you just... Said, sail in, sail out. <laughs> yeah. No, we flew in. We flew into the ship. We flew in, fly in, sail out. Sail out, sail back in again. FISO. Repeat. FISO. I just feel like there's so many jokes that can be made with the whole sail in, sail out, <laughs> one, in every, one in every port. Just... Do you know, I've been to Langkawi in Malaysia about 50 times, but only on Tuesdays. Because <laughs> that's when to, the ship got to, to Langkawi. Tuesday boy. Tuesdays. Tuesdays. <laughs> Had the same boy I got now on the ship. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The, uh, one of the things we were talking about is um, we did a story out in Perth probably about two years ago. Um, which was about a, a young guy who's 20 years old, and he wrote a piece for us about, I'm 20 years old and I've just found out I'm HIV positive. And a few of people in, in our office said, I found it really shocking that someone's 20 has HIV. And and I said, well, not really, because two years ago we did a story about I'm 18 and I have unsafe sex. So there's a you know correlation between I'm 20 and I have HIV. We We did some stories a while back about younger people lacking... Not necessarily lacking knowledge about safe sex, but not making the decisions about safe sex. How do you get messages across to people in their 20s when we're still also trying to keep up messages to people in their 40s and their 50s? You know, there's such a diverse range of people you're trying to reach. I think the easiest way is having it be mainstream, I suppose, to be health aware. In the same way that within, within community when it first hit the whole community took over. And then as that community got older, that information didn't seem to disseminate to the next sort of community. And there's almost a divide, I think, between older and younger. And because there was none of that first-hand experience in the younger group, that community just went into their own and now focused more on mental health is probably the biggest one. Yeah. Um, rightfully so, the effects on mental health and the health disparities between LGBT, um, IQ plus people and heterosexual counterparts is it's just huge but that tends to be the focus point now and people would be far more I don't know I suppose aware of different mental health outcomes um, but when it comes to to sex and HIV in particular it's just it isn't seen as a, a present it's interesting what you were saying, Lee, about you know depictions in the media mm. and not so much on our news media but in our you know popular culture you'd have to wonder if there was a character in a popular television program 
you know, if someone in, yeah. whether that's Home and Away or, or or maybe a cooler show, was suddenly, you know, HIV positive <laughs> well, a- and part of the story. Apparently there is a, a, I don't know if it's an HIV storyline, but there's a prep storyline in How to Get Away with Murder. I tried watching the show and I thought it was garbage, so I didn't even watch didn't get the to that prep storyline. So cute, though. <laughs> there's cute boys in the show? Yeah, the gay sex scenes in it. 10 for 10 would recommend everyone. Oh. Just fast forward to that. If it's <laughs> yeah. And no, and one, um, I have, oh, I don't. Don't worry, I won't. No spoilies. Yeah, no, I won't spoil the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there should be more, right? I mean, uh, look at look at what Transparents. Do. I mean, you know, Jeffrey Tambor. Well, is I was a cis thinking actor, of but... um, the TV, the American version of Shameless at the moment has a trans character, yeah. and and Ian, who's a gay character, is dating suddenly, you know, considering dating a trans guy, mm. and sort of, you know, going through a mental process, yeah, of of learning, and all the characters are asking questions and stuff, and you think, well, that's actually really. It's a great storyline, but also there's a lot of information getting put out into the world through that. Yeah, was, you know, it'd be great if you know some scriptwriter somewhere was like, let's let's work this into a story. Yeah, you know? I think it yeah. would have a massive effect. I think on the youngsters. last one that I can think of was, um, God, he was like my least favorite character on Queerest Folk. Uh, the boyfriend. Yeah, the boyfriend. The one that had <laughs> Michael's boyfriend. Michael. No, That's Michael's right. Michael's is Michael's boyfriend. Yeah, so Michael's boyfriend was HIV positive. Ben. Ben. Was it Ben? I believe it was. That sounds right. He's played by um, an actor called Robert Gant. I can remember that. Good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that's the last character that I can think of. And the only other, you know, HIV positive character on Queerest Folk was Michael's uncle, who... Yep. I think we have spoilers for Queerest Folk. It's been like, you know... Yeah, it's been like a decade, It's been like 15 years, right? Um, And he he just died suddenly one day in his armchair. So, again, it's that sort of old-fashioned depiction of... You know, HIV in some yeah. ways. Do you think we talk about sex as amongst our friends? And do we talk about sex enough? Or is it still like a taboo subject that we we don't share? Depends on your group. Yeah, you're talking to a very biased person right now because I'm always going to say we should talk about sex more. I just think <laughs> that that should be everyday discourse. Like, I'm at the checkout at Coles and people are like, hey, so have you masturbated today? Like, yeah, let's talk about this. Um, so I am I'm all for sex conversation everywhere like sex positivity yes well it's challenging because most workplaces now have a lot of rules yeah political well, don't talk about it at work then that's just don't you talk need to get a job at the aids council if you want to talk about sex out during work <laughs> work hours <laughs> but it is it's always a taboo subject it's always a challenging thing to talk about and i think even between our mates at the pub it's still it can be i i i mean like Matthew Matthew Bacon here has just entered my friendship circle, so I've learned a lot very quickly. But I used to be a total prude because I, you know, self-loathing, gay, all that shit, had a lot of straight friends. I just didn't want to talk about it. But I, d- I don't see why you wouldn't. The The only thing that's holding you back is is shame, is, is being a little bit ashamed of yourself. What What's the problem? I don't, I don't know why being coy, how being coy helps you in any way. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love it if you gave us a review on iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag Soloquacious or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash outinperth where you can add your comments on the timeline. 